when I move into managing a new team, I want to deeply understand who they are, what their motivations are, where they want to go in the future, you know, what their career aspirations are, even if those career aspirations go beyond fellow. Welcome to the Culture Builders Podcast. We interview people leaders about how they're building a culture that fosters employee growth. I'm your host, Cassie Ait, the founder and CEO here at Hopier. All right. I'm super excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Aaron, for joining us on the Culture Builders podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Oh, gosh. Uh, how long do I have <laughs> to do that part? Um, I'm just joking. So uh, usually when I do this, it's funny. I always uh, I always joke and say I'm going to start back in like 1986 and people usually are like, whoa, whoa, okay, that's too much. Um, but long story short, uh, my, my dad had given me a computer when I was a kid and that like just got me super fascinated with tech and it got me super fascinated with um, even business. Like I remember playing CEO with my sister. She was always my secretary. Um, so it was just sort of like this recurring theme from the time I was young. Um, fast forward to when I was obviously older, I launched a company um, at 21, launched it as a virtual assistance firm to start. Uh, morphed into more of like a digital marketing agency and uh, did that for 14 years um, before taking a full-time job again, which was something that we, I'm sure we can chat about it um, during the show, but uh, took a full-time job again, uh, worked in a startup accelerator for um, two and a half years, and then just recently joined Fellow as their director of marketing. So it's uh, been quite the journey, um, but it's exciting. Well, and, and you started your career in digital marketing in 2004, right? Um, which was the same year as the iPhone and uh, it was even pre-Facebook, which <laughs> yeah. is yeah. kind of, you know, kind of crazy. I don't even know if people were calling it digital marketing at the time. They, they, I was going to say they definitely were not. Um, it, it's interesting because the, uh, in, back in 2004, it was, we called it internet marketing. Um, and then it morphed into online marketing and then landed on digital. And it's actually stuck with digital for a while, which has been great. Um, but funny story about Facebook. So I had a client in uh, Silicon Valley that I went to visit and we were walking, um, you know, kind of in that, in the area, uh, Palo Alto sort of university Avenue, um, sort of area. And I remember walking by a building that had a printout, like a piece of paper printout on the window that said Facebook. And I remember asking my my client, I was like, what's this Facebook thing? Um, and then I went and, and you know, uh, signed up for an account and then subsequently convinced all my friends uh, to get on the platform. Whether that was that turned out to be a good idea or not is team TBD. <laughs> and, and so yeah. you've had the chance to work with so many different organizations, right? Like you, you worked in, in tech in San Francisco, you've worked mm -hmm. with uh, fast growing uh, consumer companies in New York. Um, Fortune yeah. 500 companies, like what has that experience been? And have you, you've worked with so many great companies. Have you found that there's a commonality between these companies? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of my experience is really uh, broad, as you just mentioned. Um, when I was running my company, it was really interesting. Um, the, I did get a lot of adoption uh, for my services in the US. It just so happened that some of my early clients were there. And then I got a lot of referrals after that, uh, which worked out really great. Um, but you know, working with working with com companies of all sizes, whether they're small, whether they're really large, whether it's like somewhere in between, um, the commonality is that they're all human beings that you work with. 
Um, so in a lot of ways, they're very different. Um, you know, you'll see things like, you know, bureaucracy pop up, you'll have more red tape, you'll have more approval processes, you'll, you'll have different things like that. But for the most part, like you're working with humans and I've always, um, you know, I've always put that experience and, and that human connection first in everything I do. Um, and so for me, it's like, it's always, yeah, I've never, even though I've had these experiences of working with these really big brands and, um, you know, even for example, Elon Musk's ex-wife, which I didn't even know that was who it was literally for like a year. <laughs> I was just, I was working with her because she was a person, you know what I mean? A normal person who needed help with her marketing. Um, and so for me, it's always just been about people. It's, it's always, yeah, it's just, it boils down to, the, it's very much a people business. I think at any point in your career, you always have the the option to to pick and choose the people that you work with. Is there something that you typically look for in in people that you you like to work with, especially yeah, now? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I've always, always, always been drawn to people who are really passionate. Um, the minute that I see other people be super passionate and excited about what they're doing, and and they have to have like a, a really uh, strong why. Um, you know, like what it like at the core of it, you know, it's not always about building this piece of software or providing services or whatever, but like, what is the why? Why did they start the company? Why do they do what they do? Why do they wake up every single day? Um, and that's always what I'm most attracted to and, and drawn to when it comes to a role. Uh, I really need to resonate with the why. I need to understand it deeply. Um, and I also want to see a leadership team that you know, really embodies the why and isn't just paying lip service to it. Or, um, you know, I would never work, for example, uh, for a company who was, you know, where they were like, our sole purpose is profits, you know, like, obviously, every company wants profits, we, you know, like, that is the basis of business. Um, but that that's not what motivates me. Like, what motivates me is hearing someone say, they want to make, you know, um, people better. They want to make their ideal, you know, demographic, just better people and they want to empower them or enable them. So, uh, the why has to be really strong and the passion has to be there. And I, I know you are an expert storyteller, probably one of the best storytellers I know. Oh, thank like, you. can, do you think that why that why is obviously a big part of, of, you know, storytelling and, uh, like, what do you think makes a great storyteller? Yeah, I think, uh, so I think there's a lot of components to it, but I think first and foremost, you have to be really, you, you have to be able to separate yourself from um, the, you know, in, in your own needs and your own desires and your own lens and everything else. You have to be able to separate that um, from the experiences of other people. And, and I think you have to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes a lot to be able to really understand, you know, what's going to resonate with this person that I'm trying to connect with. Because even in business and in marketing, like, yes, a lot of it is, you know, did I go out with a message? Did that message bring in, you know, whether it's users, customers, whatever the case might be, readers, um, whatever your metric is, like, did, did I have that result? And sure, that is a part of it. But at the end of the day, I actually like to go be, well beyond that. I wanna, I wanna know, like, did something we do make somebody feel something, you know, did, did they feel more empowered? Did they feel more enabled? Did they feel more supported? Like whatever word you want to insert there, whatever the intentionality is, the emotion, um, I want to know that. And that is hard um, as a marketer sometimes because sometimes that's the stuff that's really hard to measure. Um, 
at times. And then other times it's really easy because you'll see it in your customer emails. You'll see it in, you know, their social posts to, to your company. You'll see it in a lot of other ways. Um, but it's not always like, you know, especially when you talk about like SAS metrics, it's not super sexy <laughs> to be like, mm-hmm. but it's the feeling. Um, yeah. But I do think storytelling does that. Storytelling allows us to have empathy and compassion for others. It allows us to understand people better. Um, and I do a lot of that, you know, and, and I think I'm always trying to think about putting myself in other people's shoes. Um, and that's, that's not easy. You know, I don't have a lot of shared lived experiences. If, I, if you look across the spectrum, there's a lot of people who have very different lived experiences than I, but um, I spend a lot of time talking to people and getting to know them and, and listening and reading what they've said and, you know, or things they've wrote. And um, yeah, I think you have to pay attention, empathy, compassion, and, um, and, and then just try to connect like really human to human, not like business yeah. to human. I think what you said is super interesting. It makes me think of like psychology and how psychologists will often talk about like they're trying to label the emotion that you have, right? It's it's helping yeah. you to get to feeling and um, understanding that emotion. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Yeah, and I love that. Honestly, I, like on one of these uh, shelves, somewhere in the blue section, I have a textbook, uh, like a psychology textbook. Um, you know, I, I, I signed up, unfortunately, I signed up at a time when I didn't actually finish the course. Uh, so I will go back and, and do that. Um, but I signed up a few years ago for a psychology course for that, that, that reason. I'm actually very, I always say if I wasn't doing marketing, I would 100% want to be in psychology, um, acting as, as a therapist or just like some form of that. Um, but the reason is, is because I'm, I'm so fascinated with the human connection. And I, and I love this idea of, um, you know, everything that we do in business also being about a very human to human interaction. And, and I, I try to think about that with everything, whether it's the social post or an email we're sending out or a blog post, um, you know, is this going to resonate? Is it useful? Um, and I try not to say stuff on my own personal accounts unless I really have a reason to say it, you know, like not, I don't just do things for the sake of doing it. Yeah, that intention is is powerful, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just it amplifies your voice when you do end up saying something. Yeah, and it's not just like, oh, I must do two posts per day on Twitter, <laughs> you yeah, know. And then exactly. it's like people drown you out because they don't care and they don't think you care. Um, yeah. But I think you, yeah, intentionality. That's a great word. I think that's that's really the core of it for sure. And what do you think about internally? Like, I, I know a lot of our listeners are also thinking about like, how can I storytell internally? to to build culture how can i story tell internally to build that that like lore that brings the company mm-hmm. together that motivates the team that you know structures the that the culture those those kind of um that the the company lore that you know so many companies have yeah no i love that um i can so i'll i'll talk about it generically and then i can also share some things that we do at fellow that we find um really helpful or at least i i'll own, i can only speak to how i find it useful um but uh so generically i think i think the thing it boils down to like a common human um issue which is communication and i think you know unless you're communicating a lot of these um things whether it's celebrations whether it's being transparent on issues whether it's you know being really authentic and open about um the state like the status of a company like there's things you know that you you need to do that are just like 
embroiled in the basis of communication. Um, and I think all of those are important. Um, at Fellow, what we do that I find really helpful um, is every single Sunday, um, our CEO, Aiden, um, he does uh, a weekly email to us and he does it to the team. Um, sometimes it's a video, sometimes it's uh, an actual text email, uh, but it's always inspiring. It's always focused on you know what we've done great where we're headed. It's very like visionary. It gets the entire team super excited. And he is, if, if anyone listening to this knows him, I know you know him, um, but he's an incredible human being. Like he is someone who can take uh, the future and describe it in such a way that you're just like, yes, I'm on board. This is exciting. Like I'm in, what do you need me to do? Um, so I think that is really helpful for us um, as a team, even working, especially working remote um, as we've been obviously through the pandemic. Um, it really keeps us together, but we also do other daily things. Like we've got a Slack channel um, where we're posting in there all the time, like the moments of celebration. Uh, we're also not, not just focused on that, but we're also very transparent about, you know, any challenges that might be coming up or um, things that are hard. So I think, I think it takes, again, I'll go back to that word of intentionality. It takes creating like routine, these things like setting, like Aiden does every Sunday, like setting these things in, in place so that you have those moments that people can look, look forward to. Because even in a really hard week, I, I think ahead to every Sunday, I know I'm going to get this email. If I'm feeling at all ever like slightly uninspired or maybe like a little demotivated, especially with just like the anxiety and stress of the world, um, everything that's going on right now, I know I have that to look forward to. So I think, yeah, I think internally you have to be just thinking about how can we communicate the values? How can we communicate what's going on? And then be transparent and authentic as a leadership team, especially, um, and then in management with your individual teams. And I'm curious, like, is that video is just like a one minute kind of, or five minute, I'm trying to imagine Aiden right now, yeah. going on video and giving his, you know, it, it's, is it purely motivational or is it um, for the companies out there that might want to implement something like this? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's great about Aiden is he's um, su like, he's so comfortable doing all of these things that for him, mm -hmm. like he'll literally sometimes just throw the video up like in his backyard, you know, and he'll be like talking to us all very, again, very human to human. Um what, what he often focuses on, and this is like where I think it might be useful for others, is uh, we do have a, a set of core values um, that we have as a company. We've sort of, you know, and this this was developed pre-me, so I can't speak to the process of how they came to the core values because um, it, it happened before me. But essentially, they have this uh, core values document um, or a guide, I should call it, and it sort of sets the tone for everyone, um, especially as we're onboarding new people and and that kind of thing. Um, it sets the tone for like what we believe in fundamentally as a company, um, you know, and that is often what he will go back to in his video every week. So he'll usually take one of the core values and he'll talk about examples of where we sh like where we um, really showed up to that core value that week um, and you know, how he just enjoys what we're embodying. And then it's always um, a, a forward you know, kind of look like a look forward to what's to come. Um, and he ends, I would say on an inspiring note. So it's always going back to those core values though. So interesting. It's such a great, a great way for, you know, not just the CEO, but like any leader uh, or team lead to share with their team, 
right? Yeah, yeah. I love that example. And even David Cancel, um, the CEO of Drift, uh, he's another great person to look at. Um, If you're looking for examples of people that do this in a very like transparent way, um, David's great. Um, In fact, he just posted on LinkedIn this morning uh, about the message that he actually wrote to his team um, about Black Lives Matter and about, you know, standing up with the Black community and um, and but he published the email that he had sent to his ent- entire company. He actually published it, like so we everyone could read it. Uh, and I think like those those are are the leaders that we want to look at as as being um, inspiring. Uh, Joel, um, I can never say his last name. Uh, the CEO at Buffer is another example. Um, you know, they were sort of doing this pivot during the pandemic to a four, four day work week, just to, to alleviate some of the anxiety and stress off the team. Um, and he blogged about that publicly, um, you know, about the experiment, uh, he shared it on social. So I think there's a lot of leaders that you could look to, um, to get examples of what it means to really lead with transparency and authenticity. Um, but I think it's in, incredibly valuable. And I think when people are looking to join companies, they're looking to join companies with strong leadership, right? And, mm-hmm. and they, they want to, especially I find the younger generations, and I can say that because I'm like on the bubble of being a millennial. I think I'm like the last year because um, I was the class of the millennium when I graduated high school, which makes me, I like definitely getting older. But um, so I'm like the last age, but I think like, as I look to like younger generations, uh, they want to join companies where there's like a mission and a movement. Um, and they want to join companies where it's not like, you know, people aren't hiding away in leadership and doing things in secret. Um, so I think that transparency and authenticity really impacts culture in a, in a really big way. And, And it sounds like they also lead like those values that you talked about of like transparency and authenticity and, you know, these people that are sharing their experiences, they're also building a community and you've done a lot of community building in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, like what does community building actually mean um, to, for people that are listening? Yeah. So it's weird. I, it's so like, yes, I've done a lot of community building work and at the same time, I've never put it through the lens of like, this is a strategy. Like here are the five steps to do to build community. Like it's weird. Um, and I've done this numerous times. Like, uh, you know, I worked with a company called Curvy Yoga um, for a long time, and we built up her community from literally nothing to, uh, I think she's got, I, I, I haven't looked recently, but um, she's got tens of thousands of followers, for example, on her Facebook page and in a Facebook group. Um, and she's got an, an incredible community now built up around that. So yes, I've done all of those things, but I've never looked at it um, through the lens of like doing it uh you know, because it's a tactic or because it's like a strategy. So um, typically like building community to me means finding the people um, that, that you, you know, that are the best suited for whatever it is that you're building or you've created. Um, because I've spent most of my career working for companies and people who have built really purpose-driven things, not just things, again, to generate revenue, but because they actually are valuable to the communities they're serving. Um, it's been really easy to then look for those individuals that could benefit. And then it's about inviting them in. Um, it's not about selling to them right out, out the gate. Um, obvi- like, although a lot of SaaS marketers would probably disagree with me um, on that, uh, you know, especially as you look sort of at that, that like, you know, all of the, anyway, all of the metrics are designed for just like fast acquisition. 
Um, however, it's really about like finding them, inviting them in to a container of some sort, whether that's a forum, whether it's your email list, like a funnel, like whether it's something where it's not just about the sale, but it's actually about that value. Um, and once you invite them in, you have to let them participate in some way. So it's about giving them a voice, making them feel seen and heard. Um, there's easy ways you can do that, uh, you know, in terms of including um, your audience in things like, uh, let's say you're doing a podcast series, you're doing a video series, you're doing uh, Twitter chats, uh, maybe you're featuring, um, you know, your customers or your user base on your blog, whatever the case might be, giving them the platform and the space and making them the hero of the story and the, you know, the hero of the journey um, is sort of that next step. And then you just sort of do that enough uh, times that people are like, oh, there's something happening over here. Um, there's a group of, you know, in, in our case at Fellow, and I'll use our Twitter chats as an example. Um, we launched them three months ago. And this last one had, um, you know, over 7 million impressions on the one hour chat. That's incredible. We didn't wow. start there. But that happened fast. And the reason is, is because like we, we say, this is a place for managers and leaders to learn. Come on in, participate in the conversation. This isn't like a one-way, you know, um, broadcast. And I think, so I think like identifying who your audience is, then, you know, inviting them in um, and then giving them a lot of value um, and not, not going straight for the sale, I think is, is, are some of the elements of community building. Um, and the last thing I'll add is like, spending a lot of time understanding like deeply who they are and, and what they care about and what matters to them and like what problems they experience, because that goes back to that, like empathy and, and compassion piece. I think without, without any of that, you're, you're never going to give them what they actually need. You're going to give them what you think they need, which is mm -hmm. more often than not completely wrong. And, and you touched on, on like leadership and being a good manager, right? Mm -hmm. So um, and, and part of that, as you mentioned, is listening like fellow has done so much, your team has done so much research and has so much data on what it means to be a good manager. And I've, you know, I've seen the term super manager, um, yeah. being used. And so what is a super manager and what does it actually mean to be a great manager? Yeah, that's a great, that, honestly, that's a great question. And I will caveat this with saying that, like, I do believe that management is stylistic to a degree. I think it's, um, you know, I think there, there are definitely common practices and principles, but I also think that the way that I manage people will be very different than the way that let's say Aiden manages people or Joel on our design team manages people. Like we're all going to have our own unique style. Um, so I do want to just caveat it with that. Um, that said, like, I think there are some basic um, you know, uh, tenants that make people a, a great manager. I think uh, it does start with at least, and again, I'll, I'll speak to it from my own lens because it's going to be really hard for me to like put myself entirely in, let's say like Aiden's or Joel's shoes. Um, I can, I'll speak to my own, but for me, um, empathy, hundred percent, like that is where I start. Um, and empathy and understanding. So I want to, I want to deeply, when I move into managing a new team, I want to deeply understand who they are, what their motivations are, where they want to go in the future, um, you know, what their career aspirations are, even if those career aspirations go beyond fellow, like, let's say eventually they want to go do something crazy, like start a business or whatever. I want to know that so I can support that. Um, so I think it's really starts with that, like empathy and understanding for your people. 
And then I think it's enabled enablement, right? Like I think for us every single week, um, we have meetings where we're meeting with the team. Uh, it, as a manager at fellow, for me, it's about moving, uh, removing, uh, roadblocks. Um, so I want to remove any roadblocks for the team, enable them to do their best work, um, line them up for, you know, set them up for success in whatever way that looks like. Um, I can only achieve that though, if I, A, start with empathy and understanding, but then B, I need to have those regular conversations with the team. So we do that through like one-on-ones. Um, we do skip level meetings, uh, obviously being a meetings tool, we're very, um, you know, obsessed with meetings, but also having better meetings. Um, and so I'm having these conversations, uh, often where I'm seeking feedback, I'm giving feedback. Uh, I'm also making sure that we're like headed in that, you know, right director or right trajectory, uh, right direction um, for each individual team member. So, so I, there's a lot in there, obviously. Um, again, I don't know that it's necessarily just like you want to be a better manager. Here's step one, two, three, four, five. I think mm-hmm. it is about um, really leaning in. It's about enablement. It's about removing roadblocks and helping your team um, succeed because Management isn't really about you. At the end of the day, it's it's really about doing whatever you can to make your people even better, and whatever in whatever way you know that means for them and you and the company. But like, not you're like sort of last on the list <laughs> as a manager. So I, I get the the idea of styles. Can you give an example of like you know a total polar opposite style that you've seen work in the past? Yeah, so I'll contrast it to like I'll, I'll think about an old uh, manager that I've had and compare it to myself because that's like probably the easiest way to do it. Um, so I've had management like I've had managers in the past who, um, you know, don't adopt any of the management uh, theory, management ideas, management practices that we have at Fellow. Um, in the past, I've had managers who we didn't do one-on-ones. We didn't talk about career progression. We didn't talk about happiness levels at the company. Um, and in some ways, that management did work um, because there was uh, a lot of auto- autonomy that came with that, um, meaning they were very hands-off for, for better and worse, um, but they were b- very hands-off. Uh, I, under their management, could do what I wanted to do and needed to do without much friction, um, which is, again, good as an, you know, it lets me pace quickly and move fast. But at the same time, it often, it left me feeling a little bit more out on an island, right? It left me feeling like I didn't have that sort of support um, that I needed. And that in that same management position, the approach even to things like, let's say, performance reviews or, um, you know, any sort of review was the same. It was sort of just like, you know, here, here's your piece of paper. Um, this is what we're bumping you up to. You're doing a great job. Okay, bye. You know, and they, and they wanted to step out really fast. Um, and if I contrast that to me, uh, I, that would feel a little like I'm doing management because it's a task versus doing management as a practice and management thinking of myself like a coach almost, um, you know, to the people that are on my team. Um, so I, I think the difference is sometimes it can be viewed as a task versus an actual responsibility, you know, that you have and you should embody and, and, and want to take very seriously. Um, but at the same time, like I said, you asked the question of like, when has it been effective, even if it's a completely different style? Um, I think there were aspects of that that were effective. But I think it also was effective for me because I was a driver and I was able to work very autonomously. Um, 
put someone else in that same position and they may, they may have failed versus actually like found ways to succeed. Um, but I think like, I'll give you like one, one more, like not a, a specific example, but something more anecdotal. Um, I think there's a lot of managers who are much more like I lead with a lot of heart and emotion and empathy. I think a lot of other management uh, managers, the style would be much more logical and um, less emotional. And I think those two styles um, are can still be equally as effective. Um, and that's, I think, where the biggest differences come from is likely on the more like emotional, um, emotional side uh, and very personal like uh, connection side versus maybe being a bit more logical. I see that in my fiance a lot, to be honest. <laughs> He's an engineer. He's very logical. You know, he's, he sort of thinks like this and I think like this, like I'm like emotional. I'm like, I'm, I'm his exact opposite. And so I think if I view him as a manager, he, he and I manage very differently, but equally as effective. Yeah. I, I suppose picking a place for dinner, you're probably thinking like, <laughs> I, I, what do I actually feel like? Right. Yes. And then he's probably thinking, what's close? You know, yes. what has good ratings? What is, yeah. And he's the type yeah. that can eat at the same place every single time for dinner. And <laughs> I, it's all, a, it, it really depends on how my stomach feels that day. Like maybe yeah. I feel like having, you know, like Asian tonight. I don't feel like having, like having Indian, well, like whatever it might be. But like, yeah. it's for me, it's a feeling for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's a great it, that's a great uh, example of like managers and leaders that feel versus, you know, leading with, with kind of that logical approach, because it's yeah. true. I, I've, I've experienced that before and I've seen, you know, leaders be effective in both kind of styles. Mm -hmm. right? There are definite styles that don't work too, like completely mm -hmm. that are super ineffective. I'm sure we've all had management um, or managers in the past that just like didn't inspire us, didn't motivate us. In fact, they just got in our way. And then, you know, that results in sort of a breakdown. So I think um, ideally, you know, if people can aim for like doing something, um, you know, and, and improving themselves as a manager, I think uh, um, that's all you can really ask for. Uh, there's that constant, you know, uh, self-improvement. And you recently uh, completed, a, a, I saw on Twitter, a leadership principles course at Harvard. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that one I actually finished. The psychology one I did not. Um, this one I did. Um, I just got my certificate last week, I think, or a week before. Time feels fluid right now. But um, yeah, yeah, it was really, it was a great course. Super excited. You know, speaking of like time feeling fluid, right? Mm -hmm. You wrote a piece. So you're a contributor to the Huffington Post, um, mm -hmm. contributing author. And I know you wrote a piece on work-life balance in 2015 super relevant today with the lines being blurred. Um, yeah. And you wrote this quote. So the fiber of my being is carefully constructed with the blood, sweat and tears that I poured into making my business, my dream a reality. Super interesting. And I think, you know, you talked about this, the version of work-life balance that is going to work for you and that honors the part of you that can't be turned off. Do you yeah. think this still holds true today? And, oh my gosh, hundred uh, <laughs> percent. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's crazy. Like I always thought like when I was self-employed that maybe I was just um, like, maybe, maybe this like idea of work-life balance not being real had something to do with that. Um, but no, I became employed uh, in a nine to five job and uh, still, still, um, you know, the same things, the same feelings were still inside um, in terms of just like feeling very 
drawn to and dedicated to my work and being um, very excited about work. And what I will say, though, that I've learned a lot um, since the pandemic, especially, um, you know, life changed for everyone. And before I would say pre-pandemic, I had a lot on the go. Like I had like my job. I had a lot of, I was like volunteering a lot, doing a lot of mentoring, coaching, judging pitch competitions, as you know, cause we've sat at the same table doing that. Um, you know, we've done like, or I was like doing a lot and I felt very stretched thin. And then, you know, I would do that in the working hours, sometimes obviously after hours too. Um, but I also have a daughter who's nine and I was like rushing her to, you know, rock climbing and different things that she was involved in. And then I was still trying to have meaningful time, you know, with her and, you know, with my fiance and have like a social life, um, which didn't happen very often. So I felt pre pandemic, like there was just so much. And like, I had a commute in there. Like these aren't things that are, are new or unique to me. This is like life. And then pandemic hit. And then everything changed and I had to just, you know, move indoors basically. Um, And a lot of things that were in my life went away. And now what I've sort of stumbled upon is this idea of like work-life integration. And um, what I'm finding is I work more uh, now post pandemic because I'm at home and I can wake up and instead of a commute and all those other things and taking my daughter to school and making lunches and all that stuff. I can literally, you know, come to my office, sit down and I'm, I'm here. Um, I can pick up my laptop, uh, easily, more easily. It doesn't feel as jarring. And so what I'm finding, um, is that this is telling me a lot about the way, like how, um, how work-life integration feels way better for me personally than trying to find a work-life balance. Um, it also tells me I was probably way too busy before with like lots of a variety of things. Whereas now I'm busy with like two or three things maybe. Um, and I love having the time to spend with my family. So mm-hmm. I think my stance on work-life balance is that it's still, uh, it's never going to be balanced. I think that is just like, uh, an idea we need to throw out the window. I love the idea uh, or the word integration, because I think at times your life is going to need more from you. Um, outside of work. I think at times your work's going to need more. I think sometimes you'll feel like working more, you know, you'll feel more inspired. Um, and sometimes you won't. And I think like, it's, it's like this fluid sea. And I think, uh, the sooner we get to a place where we just feel a little bit more comfortable with like every day being a bit different, um, and not striving for like this 50, 50 idea, uh, I think it will all be better off. And you worked remotely for 15 years, actually, right? So, um, you know, like, I think there's this, you mentioned this before, there's like this divide of people that like it and dislike it. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you maintain a culture? And how do you, um, you know, support a team when there is that divide and that shift? Yeah, yeah, you know, so I'll, I'll be the first to say, I'm not going to be the expert on this at all. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're going to be planning something. I won't ruin it yet. Cause I, I want it to be like scheduled, but anyway, we're planning something where we do have someone who is very, um, well-versed and experienced on this subject, um, to be able to speak to it. But that said, um, you know, given the experience I've had in the past, like I've obviously, 
uh, I built a company, I built um, a team. I had 1.25 people on my team who were fully remote, distributed across um, the world. Um, And I think there, it goes back to some of the early things I, I was mentioning, even about what we do at Fellow now. Like I think having intentionality around your communication, um, setting up times when it's not like, especially with your team, where you're not just focused on work things, because it's really easy for every interaction to just be a status check. Um, and the minute you get into that, where it's like the only time I'm going to ask you, to, like I'm going to I'm going to pretend you exist, is when I need something from you or I'm checking on something. Um, if you get into that rhythm, like that, that can feel a bit weird. Um, so some of the things that we've been doing to kind of maintain that culture, um, even remotely as we do, uh, so we do all hands, uh, meetings, um, where the entire team comes, comes to, together. And we, we do a lot of celebrations at that meeting, but we also tack on some sort of activity that's fun. Um, so whether that's playing like, um, video games together, or, uh, we did a trivia one time that was super fun, um, you know, we try to, we try to look for ways that we can, we can actually just hang out, you know, without feeling like we need to chat work. Um, and so I think that's important. And then I think, uh, just being really intentional about, you know, little things like messaging each other just to be like, Hey, good morning. How was your weekend? Um, you know, my team does a daily standup, uh, meetings. It's not long. It's like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, maybe. Um, but that touch point, that daily touch point is really great, uh, to continue to build that camaraderie and, um, that rapport with each other. Um, but I do think like it's the non-work stuff that's really important. And I think, um, as you're moving through your day, just think about like, is my only interaction with some of the people on my team specifically to ask them where we're at with X. And if that's the only time you're reaching out to them, I would say that's a, a very easy place to evoke change. Um, you know, instead of that, just message them and say, Hey, how's it going? How's, it, how's your weekend? How's your week going? Like anything, you know, just spark conversation that isn't that. So um, I think, yeah, and, and communication and, and intentionality um, definitely themes <laughs> throughout this. All right. Well, thanks, Aaron, so much for uh, for joining us on the Culture Builders podcast. Is there a way that our listeners can follow you and, uh, you know, learn more about you? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the easiest way is just to Google my name, Erin um, Blasky. That's my handle on every social platform under the sun. Don't don't be shy to reach out and connect. I, I connect with um, everyone until you give me a reason not to connect with you. I lead with trust. Um, and uh, and then I'd love to just encourage people to check Fellow out too, if you haven't. Um, that's just at fellow.app. Great. Well, thanks yeah. so much. And that was the Culture Builders podcast. To find out more about Hopier and how we help people leaders build a culture of growth and recognition, visit hopier.com. And then make sure to check out Culture Builders in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Hopier, thanks for listening.